Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Monday, February 26th. You know what Monday means at TigerIllustrated.com. That is Paul's recruiting insider. And man, this was a really good one today. Matt Luke has he's get he gets paid a lot of money, but uh, I think you could argue he's earning every bit of it so far on the recruiting trail. Get all the details on that in Paul's Monday Morning Insider, which is up right now. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold, based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solution, You can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. I don't have concern uh, because other people worry about all that stuff and deal with it and challenge, you know, figure out whatever. I mean, Lord, have mercy, 2036, I'll be... I don't know where I'll be. Uh, I'll be with Sapikoff. I'll be doing something. I don't know where we'll be. Uh, but that's a long time. Make sure you all check Gene's analytics for me. Coach Sapikoff. Okay, joined by Gene Sapikoff. Is it the former columnist of the Post and Courier? Is that the? Is that? Is it? Is it? Is that official? Well, as of March first, it is, Larry. But uh, here, here's what I'm wondering. You know, there's hundreds of athletes at Clemson hundreds and uh, some of the coaches are actually doing quite well but uh, you know it, it just seems like you'd have better options than than this for the famed Larry Williams podcast <laughs> no no I'm uh I I when, when the news hit last week I mean this it was a sensation people were talking about it at a lot of places so including uh, my message board that that I inhabit um with with my subscribers so um we got a lot to talk about dude i'm looking forward to it and uh as i told you before this is like uh talking to 60 minutes or something i had to uh kind of prepare for this it's not like talking to one of these radio or tv guys for five minutes so you ask the toughest and best questions so well thank you but luckily there's no camera that can show me like it does what i always hate well i don't hate but it's just always funny 
when Scott Pelley is interviewing some high-profile person and, you know, you're interested in the answer, right, like most people, but they'll always show the little clip of Pelly like, with his thumb on his chin, nodding pensively, you know, or, or <laughs> his reaction to the answer. And I'm just like, is that really necessary? I don't know. It's just always kind of amused me. Well, they had that uh, in the movie Network, the fake teardrop of the interviewer. So, you know, but not not to say Scott fake cries, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first of all, um, I this is a this is a a credit to you, of course. Um, whenever we're together, you're always asking me about me and my family and life and all that. And I seldom get to ask you about yours. And uh, I see that you have a granddaughter that is uh, running long, I guess, uh, on a track team in Hickory, North Carolina. Is that correct? Uh, That's Hickory High School. It's in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia. Okay, I'm sorry. um, Yeah, my daughter is a physical therapist up there in Virginia, and she she and her husband have three kids, and this is the oldest, and she's a sophomore in high school and really likes uh, middle-distance track and field right now. Awesome. All right, tell me, I want to hear about, okay, you've told me bits and pieces about your son. I want to hear about where... How many kids do you have, first of all? Three. Three. Tell me about the other two. Okay. So my one son uh, spent six years in the Navy, really uh, got a lot of awards and stuff, spent a lot of time on Guam and in uh, Seattle, Washington area. He is on the GI Bill in college in Charleston. Uh, My other son is a graduate assistant coach in strength and conditioning at South Dakota State, where a Sapikov, Larry, actually just earned a championship ring in Division One football. He was with the South Dakota State Jackrabbits undefeated football team all season. And, you know, they uh, beat Montana down in Frisco, Texas. So he's happy about that and uh, also works with uh, baseball and wrestling teams there at South Dakota State in strength and conditioning. That's really cool. Were you able to, I mean, when you're, traveling around doing the crazy busy job of being a sports columnist it's probably hard to to get much much extracurricular family travel were you, were you able have you all been able to get out there or yeah I've been, we've been out there a few times driving around uh the dakotas which uh, especially the western part of those states are beautiful um you know, like uh, Mount Rushmore and Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota and stuff. But actually seeing football, I I couldn't do that because of my duties as a sports columnist at the Post and Courier trying to keep up with Clemson and South Carolina, which I have no regrets about. But uh, maybe this next season I can – he's got one more year there. I can go see some South Dakota State football huddling up in uh, 30-degree temperatures or whatever they have out there. All right. How long had this been brewing, Gene? You thinking about hanging it up, and when did you actually make the decision? Uh, as 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 you know, just like I guess we talked about at the beginning. I guess I'm a reporter. I gotta I gotta ask you what I would ask a coach who's decided to hang it up. Like I don't want to say talk about, but <laughs> what were you thinking? That's one when? of our favorite two words, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking when you? Uh, when you arrived at this decision? 
Okay, well, probably started thinking about it around in October. Um, I gave some thought to, yeah, maybe I'll do this before the end of the year, but I wanted to go through the football season. I also thought about going through another football season or even two. Um, (laughs) This is a weird time to leave because March Madness is pretty darn interesting in the state of South Carolina right now. And then I've covered like 14 straight masters, but... um, I went, uh, you know, just started, you know, thinking about it. And then I spent the entire month of January in a service project in Israel. And um, I thought, you know, um, I think I want to do more service project type things. There's not exactly things like that to do, but um, and and the kind of service projects I might want to do are not going to be conducive to. Um, you know, like a regular 40 hour a week job. Uh, although I'm not, you know, saying I wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm kind of in the portal per se, but uh, I think I want to mostly do service projects and some writing projects and then, you know, just see what else is out there. And I came to the conclusion that that last week would be a good time to announce it. And then, um, you know, as far as anything else, I, I really... I've heard from a few people job wise, but I've I'm really trying to just play it really straight until March 1st. I'm not really going to talk to anybody seriously about that. I mean, in, anybody that wants to talk to me, I said, I'll I'll, talk, I'll call you back on March 1st, basically. I don't remember exactly when you wrote about this, but you did a fantastic story on legendary Sports Illustrated writer Gary Smith, who lives in his post-writing life in Charleston, and Ron Morris, who's in Columbia still, for their uh, good works and public service. Was that in the fall that you wrote that? Uh, Let's see. I'm pretty sure that was in December, December. early December. It might have been in late November, something like that. Did that when you see two sort of not just fellow sports writers, but icons who are doing that, does that, does that get your wheels turning even more in thinking, you know, I think I might be ready to, to take the plunge, a similar plunge. That's a great question. And the short answer would be yes and no. And then the expanded answer would be, I've known Gary Smith since the first year I moved to Charleston, which is around when he did in 1986. And he's just does so much for so many people off the field, if you will, that that's really inspired me. Uh, you know, you and I have known Ron Morris for so long, and he is just one of the most kind hearted persons that I've ever met. So over kind of almost a professional lifetime, those two guys have inspired me, not necessarily specifically lately. What that story was about um, was I had about three or four columns that I said to myself in October, I'm going to do these in the next few months here before I leave. That was one of them. Another one was. I completely trashed my high school coach in the school newspaper when I was a junior in high school, a completely irresponsible goofball 16 year old, you know, that no, just got through the editors, got through the teacher and everything. And then this guy ended up being my favorite teacher and AP history teacher. And anyway, I reached out to his daughter all these years later, apologized, And she was wonderful. I I said, I got to do that column. 
and um, you know, just a couple others that I just wanted to get in before I left. So in a way, yeah, Ron and Gary absolutely have inspired me so much over my life. And I'm, I'm not just saying this, as have you, as have a few other people ar- around the state that have done a lot of things. And um, that's, that's just really cool. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I really just try to just do what I can, but it's, that, that's one thing that I've liked about working in the Palmetto state is there's so many great people I've been able to work with, but then compete against just, just kind hearted, wonderful human beings. So the columns you wrote that you just referenced on, well, you alluded to one, it was the one about South Carolina's new special teams coach, D. Camillus. Is that, am I getting his last name right? Yes, perfect. Um, he is the, can, can you give, give the backstory there? Yeah, so uh, I'm walking around Israel and uh, I was actually working on army bases all week for four weeks in which we really weren't allowed to be on any phones or, you know, internet devices or anything. But on the weekends, we, we were kind of off and that. So I touched base on the weekends with the news, uh, like, Hey, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban left. That's interesting. But, um, and, uh, Larry <laughs> Williams is writing about da- Dabo in Alabama. That, and then I just like go in a cave for a week and come back up the next weekend. But, uh, I see Shane Beamer, his special teams coach left. So he hired Joe D Camillus, who I, I, I knew about him, but I thought, Oh my God, this is going to be really cool when I get back because, Joe DeCamillis' father, Tony DeCamillis, uh, was my career development teacher in ninth grade in Denver, Colorado. And when I was just totally a mess as a kid and we had to do a career development class project, he said, hey, you like sports, right? And you like writing. Why don't you try to do a paper on being a sports writer? So I called up the columnist. Uh, in Denver at the time, who was Woody Page, who was still on uh, ESPN shows and stuff. And uh, he was so generous with his time and helping me out. And then th- that was in ninth grade, Larry, 1974, exactly 50 mm. years later, Shane Beamer hires this guy's son who, who helped the Broncos and the Rams win Super Bowls as their special teams coach. And I you know, called him up and said, Hey, you know, this is the deal with your dad. And he was blown away. And, and can I talk to your, to your dad and, uh, Jody Canellis, South Carolina special teams coach. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll have him give you a call. And he, and he didn't call me. He didn't call me Larry. And this went on for a few days. This was a couple weeks ago and I had to do some other columns it ended up, he called me about an hour before I had to turn this column in, which was going to be my very last column for the Post and Courier, and it was. And um, so I interviewed Tony DiCamillo as my career development teacher. And it didn't occur to me till a day later, and the story ran in the Post and Courier, that this is the guy that got me into sports writing in ninth grade. And 50 years later, he's the last person I interviewed mm. for the Post and Courier. So you're you're not going to write another column for the Post and Courier? Uh, I don't believe so. I guess there's a scenario where something could happen, but but I'm pretty sure that's it. I mean, just I'm just just going over the timeline here, just for the listeners. Yeah. You write that that was 
that was good. I guess they knew. So, okay. What were you writing before you got the call? What was going to be the column? Uh, no, I, well, no, that was going to be the oh, column, but, 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 but I had to push that back a few days uh, and I, I wrote like some college basketball columns and, you know, uh, another co- column, uh, it was based, oh, a college baseball column about the preview of the college baseball season. And that wasn't intended to be my last column, but because, uh, Joe Camille, Joe DeCamillis's dad, you know, didn't call me back. I, that ended up being the last one, not planned at all. And, you know, I didn't tell Shane Beamer to hire Joe DeCamillis. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was so weird that Pete Lembo left. He hires Joe DeCamillis and, you know, it just ends up being fitting in the way that it did. It was almost eerie, really. It's interesting because I in read before you announced you were that, that you're hanging it up. I read both. Of, well, I read also your your piece on the Israel experience, and then the one on your your high school coach teacher, um, and then the one on Deacon Ellis. And I'm like, it was. I don't want to say strange, but I just got a. A, a feeling like this is this is kind of different like a lot of reflection and you know writing about very 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 perceptive of you i i told the th- about four other people have said that exact same thing they saw something coming there and um Pete Yacobelli was one of them, Cornblute, you. I mean, and then not too many other people, though, really saw that or told me that they did, I guess. And so I would figure Larry Williams would read into that. Yeah. Well, I, and, 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 but thanks for reading them at all, actually. Yeah. So. Well, actually, I mean, honestly, I wasn't thinking, oh, I definitely wasn't thinking, oh, Gene's, this is it. Gene's hanging it up. I bet it was just like, it was different. Uh, and then after you announced, you're hanging it up. It's like, oh, I see now. You know, one of those things. Um, but I, I is it? It's kind of strange, at least to me, that you know we have you announcing your your departure. There's a you know a cool video that you put on Twitter, and then there's you know radio appearances, TV, fine bomb. But it feels, and this is constructive, but I guess a piece of criticism, I guess, it's odd to me there's nothing on the po- the newspaper that, you know, like a farewell or no, like, I mean, you've been there 30, <laughs> 38 years? Yeah, this is weird. I don't know. You, you, you read into this what you want, but this is reflective of how uh, news gathering organizations of the conventional type work these days. There is something that was sent via an email newsletter to print subscribers that, you know, from our executive editor, Jeff Taylor, you know, about this and talking about it right after my announcement or a few days after, I think it actually went out last Friday on whatever date that was the 22nd of February or something. I'm not sure. Anyway. So it goes out to newsletter subscribers it's not actually on the website or whatever, or in the post and cur. I'm not, I'm not sure, but all that meant to get more newsletter subscribers maybe, or try to, you know, get subs. I don't know exactly how it works, but in a way, it, the post and courier people that subscribe have, have been informed, but not in the conventional way. I, I don't really know, Larry, this, the whole thing, uh, in the whole business kind of turns and turns and turns and is, is weird. It's exciting, but strange is all I'll say. 
Wow. Like I I mean I'm I love the Post and Courier. I always will. But I can't I mean I have to be honest here, like that is crazy. Um and you can say whatever you want or not say whatever you want. Um that's that that doesn't make any sense to me that you're you're you you wrote words for a living for that paper for that long and yet you can't have a there's not a final word. There's not even a word, Gene, on the, yes. if you pull up the. I don't know. I really don't know what to say. Obviously I'm not worried about them firing right. me at this point, <laughs> um, uh, which they could, maybe I could get a buyout of like three more days or something, but, but uh, yeah, um, I guess it's still possible. There could be something in the paper the last day or something. Okay. I, I don't really know. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, you're not, I think you're not the first person that's has has uh, said what you're saying there but yeah i mean the first thing i did the morning after you announced on twitter that you were you're, that you're leaving the post and courier i pulled up the post and courier <laughs> and i'm yeah. sure a lot of people people who still get the printed product went out to their driveways and opened it up it's like okay i'm gonna read jeans farewell just like we read you know i guess ken, i can't remember how ken Burger handled his, his but um, uh, I, 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 I don't know if you do, you recall. But anyway, just uh, I don't want to belabor that, but it seems like certainly something worth talking about and worth uh, – it's fair to uh, fair to scrutinize that. that right, decision. no doubt. Yeah. Um, I had to laugh um, in hearing and reading you – Talk about when you're in high school. You were in ninth grade when you wrote that column. Tenth was it? No, no, no uh, ninth. Okay, so yeah, no, I was a junior. That was the first year we could be on the newspaper staff, and a bunch of seniors were, you know, running the the show there at the North Star at North High School. But uh, none of them were a bit interested in sports. So I immediately became the sports editor. Could write my own columns, and what a you know, I'm thinking. Well, all these sports columnists that I see in the library at Boston, Chicago, New York, they, they like to rip coaches. I'm just going to rip the first coach that I think is doing a bad job. And this guy is six foot eight. He had played for Utah in the NCAA tournament and had been an alum of that high school. And his daughter was behind me a year in school, which I didn't know at the time. And so I just decided that this guy needs to be fired because he's not winning the way the football team's winning. Anyway, he's the basketball coach. So, yeah, that so, didn't go over real well when he was my history coach the next um, and my history teacher the next year. But, yeah, it's so funny because as much as I want to sort of characterize today's young sports writers like kids in high school or college is, yeah, they just want to have a take and they're not interested in being reporters like we were when we were coming up. You were that way. I was that way. Like, because like you, like you said, you know, if you're reading these big city sports columnists like Mike Lupica or Skip Bayless in Chicago, I guess he was there when you were coming up, maybe. I, I guess we, we we were separated by a good number of, I guess, a couple of decades. But um, anyway, you just think that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I was just 
just should not have been uh, turned loose at that point like that. And like I said, some cracks fell through. Our, our teacher really trusted our very excellent editor who went on to, to Brown in Ivy League school. And, and he, no interest in sports, completely trusted me. So basically no one looked at this column until it came out. And my, my teacher almost got fired by the principal. And it, it was quite the controversy at school at the time. I have a similar story from present day I want to share. I'm not going to name a name, but it's a it's the son of a good friend of mine who's at a local high school in Greenville and has some interest in journalism. After Clemson lost to South Carolina in 22, he wrote a column for his school newspaper that said, and he's a Clemson fan, hardcore Clemson fan since he was born, basically. He wrote a column saying the Dabo's dynasty is dead, basically. And um, <laughs> <My God. laughs> but here's the here's the here's where it sort of turns into the more modern day sort of conflicts, I guess. It somehow the the that student paper had some arrangement with was it Apple news or, or one of the news feeds that actually gets disseminated in some fashion out into the world. Yeah. And, I get, and we could have a whole four hour podcast on the, on the problems with, with how news gets disseminated now and algorithms and what gets pushed to you is what either ticks you off or, um, you know, entrenches what you want to believe, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but basically this column that he just thought he was writing for his class and that only people in his class or school would see it, it gets pushed out into the public sort of domain. And of course, then it becomes kind of viral because people are like, yeah, look at this guy. (laughs) He says Davos Dynasty's dead and nobody really knows who it is, but it creates a sensation, you know, because... Yeah, you know, if 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 you're a Clemson fan who's pissed off at Dabo's hiring of inexperienced coaches, you're like, yeah, see, even this guy thinks Dabo's lost his fastball. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it was probably a a learning experience, probably for the faculty or the teachers there. Like, hey, we need to make sure that everything that our kids write isn't pushed out there into the public, you know, domain. Right. It's a s- strange world right now. Very, very. Um, that reminds me, I, <laughs> I've i had my own instances of jumping all over a coach. I was at, You remember Mike Hold, right, who played for South Carolina? Absolutely. <laughs> I was at the Augusta Chronicle, and he was the coach of the arena football team there. And we had a, a our normal beat writer, Rob Mueller, who I think you remember probably. Right. In fact, I communicated with him some last week. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Big baseball guy. He covered the Augusta green jackets very well. I also covered the arena team. He was out of town for something. And so I covered for him covering the arena team and I was young, you know, just like what we're talking about. And, you know, they had, they got beat or something. It was a home game and, you know, i kind of ripped them a little bit, you know, just pretty critical in my game story. It wasn't even a column. And then uh, Mike Hold, it it ticked him off and he came after me. (laughs) And at the time, I'm just like, you know, didn't really have a sense of, hey, 
you know, this is about relationships and it, you have to be fair-minded and maybe just give them a break. It was one game. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Bulldog. You know, I'm coming here, you know, coming into this assignment and I'm not going to do him any favors. And just another, you know, just lessons you have to sort of maybe learn. Go th- Everybody kind of probably has to go through it. Um, but you look back and just sort of cringy moments of early in your, in your career, I guess. Absolutely. There, everybody's going to have some of those relative to their career, no doubt about it, no matter really how old they are. Well, you, Gene, you, uh, I, I was actually, I, I, I just went back and found the, the, I guess it was last, it was about a year ago when Shane Beamer was, he was really upset at what people were writing about his hire of uh, Dowell Loggins. And it wasn't just you, I don't think, but he, because there was a lot of like, wait, who, who's this guy? What are his credentials? And I think you wrote a column criticizing the hire, but then he chose to single you out in the press conference. That are in the profession, know about Dow Loggins. So I read your article this morning, Gene, and that's great. I'm sure in your research, you did more than just say, well, I haven't heard of that guy before. Let me see what his stats said. Oh, well, he had a run as a coordinator in the NFL that maybe wasn't as successful that he wanted, so he must not be very good. Surely you did more research than that, Gene. And it's not just Gene. It's a lot of people. So surely everybody that wants to critique every hire that we make here, I'm sure you guys knew that Dow Loggins turned down a coordinator job in the SEC last year, correct? Everybody knew that, right? I'm sure you guys know that I'm the fourth SEC head coach that's reached out to him in the last two weeks. I'm just curious, like, when you're in that moment, it's not fun, you know, because you're like, okay, how should should I respond? Should I should I clap back a little bit and stand up for myself? But then it becomes kind of a becomes regarded as a pissing match, you know, because he's already angry. He's already he already has his guard up. I don't think you said anything back, and it was probably the probably the right decision, but can you take us again? We're going back, I guess, Mr. Reporter here, take us back to what you were thinking uh, when that happened. I'm, I'm guessing that when you walk into the press conference, you're thinking that it's possible that he goes off just given that, um, you know, he's can be kind of sensitive sometimes. It's just take us back. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, when Dabo Sweeney or, uh, Shane Beamer hires a coordinator. That's pretty big news. And in this case, Dow Loggins, I thought was pretty big news. Had heard, followed, I mean, I like following the NFL. So I was somewhat aware of his problems with the Jets and the Bears and so forth. Uh, so, you know, when he made that hire with, I just thought there were a lot of really good college football play calling strategist minds available. You know, I didn't think it was good at the time as an aside, I think Loggins did a pretty good, pretty good job. You know, it's going to be hard to say uh, without Spencer Rattler, how that is going forward. But anyway, so yeah, I pretty much ripped him and said, this is just not a good hire. This was a bad idea. Here's Dow Loggins' record as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And oh, by the way, he hasn't called a play in college football. So that, that was my reasoning. So coming into the presser, which was introducing Dow Loggins, I, I thought, you know, I really didn't think too much about it because I thought he's not going to really want to bring up anything negative about a coach he's introducing as the offensive coordinator, but he went there and he went there right away and he singled me out and went on and on about it. But, um, 
honestly, uh, I really wasn't even slightly phased about it. I'm pretty much thinking about the next question. And that is because I'm an old guy and uh, I've had a lot of coaches do similar things before in press conferences, before press conferences, off to the side or whatever. And you can get Larry no better introduction (laughs) to covering a beat than I did when for some reason uh, working for the now defunct Santa Monica Outlook, we covered the Los Angeles Raiders, you know, home and road all the time. And uh, my introduction to Al Davis uh, with the Raiders was, hey, Mr. Davis, I grew up in Denver and, uh, you know, the Raiders would always beat the Broncos. And But I just want to say we really respected the Raiders. We hated the Raiders, but respected it. And uh, he just looks at me like, hey, kid, <laughs> you didn't respect us. You feared us and and, and walked away. And then a few days later, um, we, we could go in the locker room before practice, after practice, whenever we wanted. But uh, Lyle Alzado didn't like something I wrote about him and threw a chair at me that narrowly missed my head. I'm pretty sure he he meant to narrowly miss my head, but but I'm only pretty sure of that. So that that toughened my skin real quick. What did you write about Alzado? Uh, basically that he was just a nut and he was crazy. And he had been that way with the Broncos, which I had some insight into, you know, these various things he did. Like, I think I'll fight Muhammad Ali in mile high stadium, you know, and he had an exhibition bout with Muhammad Ali that I, I got to cover from, for our college paper. And, um, you know, that, that, that I didn't know if this was such a great signing for the Raiders. Was this going to be good? It turned out to be real good. He helped him win Super Bowl 18. But, um, you know, he, I don't know why he even saw this. This is way before the Internet. But some somehow he saw the piece and, and threw the, the chair at me in the locker room, barely missed my head. And uh, like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And, you know, a week later, he's he's talking to me and telling me all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, a very interesting guy who we later found out was uh, just loading up in the steroids constantly, which would explain his personality and mood changes for sure. So a week later, was there any, hey, man, I'm sorry, uh, you know, just sort of buried at the hatchet or was it just like it never happened? It was like it never happened. And really, in fact, he was one of the nicest, most cooperative uh, athletes I've ever had to deal with, pro or college, because he would really give you a good off-the-record stuff and t- tell me, hey, Howie Long's about to sign a contract, a new contract. And I, I, I broke the news for Pro Football Weekly about Howie Long getting his first new big deal, and, or Lester Hayes wants to be traded and stuff like that. I mean, he would tell me stuff. So I really liked that. And you know, he would do extremely crazy things off the field, but that was uh, fascinating to me as a young reporter. So, Can you give some insight into just for the sort of casual listener um sort of inside baseball but really interesting i think like what do you think it was i mean there were a lot of reporters covering the raiders at that time what was it that allowed you to sort of separate yourself in the eyes of of this football player enough for him to give you some of the scoop over some of the other guys uh, for him, I honestly, just being a Denver Bronco fan as a high school and college kid, and I really, really, you know, followed him closely. So I had some insight into little things that he had done. And, uh, and he did a lot for the community, for instance. And so I'd like say things like that. And I think 
I basically befriended him um, in that way. And, and I think he just trusted me with, with things like that. And I don't know if he was recognizing like how inexperienced I was and was trying to help me. Um, I just don't know about that, but I just tried to appeal to him on a different level. Cause a lot of times when like, I'm a really young reporter, um, you tend to use sources that are around your age, just like now that I'm an older guy, I tend to use sources that are around my age and I can't really get 23 year olds or 19 year olds to really like, Oh, you know, give me inside information. That's always how it's been. You know, the, the people that are within 10 years, say of your age or, tend to tend to trust you more just maybe from life experience or something and you may be able to relate to this but i'll tell you like when i was covering colorado state university football and i was a student at colorado state i mean i broke everything in the college paper before the denver post or anybody else did because those guys would just talk to me like yep. walking around campus and tell me what was going on. And, and, you know, I could understand where they were coming from and sp spoke their language and stuff. And, and now maybe I relate to <laughs> board members and former coaches and older coaches and things like that a little bit better than I do 19 year old women on the university of South Carolina basketball team, even though I have great respect for them, that might not be my wheelhouse right now though. So in the immediate aftermath of Beamer going off on you in a press conference, obviously you're, you're, you know, you got, you have thick skin. It doesn't really phase you, but I'm curious, like my reaction privately would be, okay, I got to figure out maybe how to smooth this over. Or like, is he really ticked off at me? Or is he just trying to, trying to make a point, you know, cause you know, these coaches are calculated what they say publicly. Is there any effort on your part? Do you feel that desire to sort of maybe uh maybe maybe hit him up privately afterward or hit up one of his communications people just to be like hey what if he wants to talk to me and try to hash this out we can do that you know how how do you handle that or how did you handle that type of thing uh, okay well well i'll just try to talk about this specific situation and see uh if it lends any insight into how i would handle any situation or maybe situations like this should be handled or how you might handle them or whatever. But in that situation, and I did several radio interview, radio interviews and fine bomb immediately that afternoon. <laughs> um, uh, I had no problem with what he did. Zero. Here's my thing. He was sticking up for his guy in yeah. public yeah. and his guy had been slammed in public by somebody who, you know, I guess people paid a little bit of attention to me and, um, he was sticking up for his guy and, and I had no problem with that. I've had other coaches if they're sticking up for their guy or their program. And, you know, <laughs> you take a shot at Dabo Sweeney's program or something like that. I, he, he's going to be really upset. If you say something about like a play call or some, I don't know, some sort of strategy, it's not the same thing. So I had no problem with it. I, I'm, I was pretty sure Shane Beamer wasn't going to hold a grudge. Remember, that, so this is after the regular season, but before their bowl game against Notre Dame in Jacksonville. So they have the press conference before the Gator Bowl, exactly in the same place Clemson had the press conference before their Kentucky game in the stadium 
at, you know, in Jacksonville at Everbank field, whatever it's called, um, a few days before the game. And after the presser, I just nodded toward him. He nodded toward me. He came over and I just said, and we just kind of made a much a small talk about various things. I just was asking him how his Christmas went and he asked me the same thing and I knew we were good. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, and here's the thing, Gene. Well, a really unfortunate, I guess, part of present times, not that past times were, you know, totally uh, hunky-dory, but it's talking about with the way fans react to episodes like that. Like, what you just said about Beamer sticking up for his guy, there's give and take with any relationship between media guy slash columnist, whatever, who's doing a credible job and doing his job and a head coach who's doing his job. There are going to be times where y'all's interests don't really align. And if I write something about Dabo uh, saying how they screwed up a call at the end of the Miami game or whatever, he is well within his right to clap back at me if he thinks that something I wrote was half-baked, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean that he hates me. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I hate him. It doesn't mean that our relationship long-term isn't going to be fine. And as we sort of switch it back to your relationship with Beamer, he was very gracious and classy in, last week. In uh, I guess he tweeted uh, his, his uh, kind words to you on your decision to leave the the Post and Courier, but the, but fans, like, I went to one of the Gamecock message boards and I'm sure, I don't, this probably isn't news to you, but it was, I mean, some, it was pretty bad about on the news that you, your announcement you were leaving, but on our message board, it was probably 95%. Oh man, it's a, he did a good job and, and, um, it's a different time now, you know, no more sports columnists in the state of South Carolina, whatever, but I just think it's kind of sad that fans to a large degree don't really understand how a relationship works between a media member and a coach. And a big part of it is every press conference is televised now. And so whenever there's like just a crossword, then it's like, oh, coach A goes off on media member. Well, no, it's not really going off. He was just sticking up for himself or correcting the reporter as he thought you know he should do so anyway what do you think about that whole thing just about how things have evolved to where everything is everything is on video now and that that really kind of gives people the wrong impression sometimes about how this works sort of on an everyday level uh perfect i mean couldn't have said it any better than you did i mean i go back to some of my give and take with Danny Ford when he was the coach and my gosh, if that would have been on video or <laughs> if that would have been like kind of a daily back and forth or, or, you know, not, not just on video, but the, the stories that, that I, I once called him, I mean, the headline in my column was the Prince of Paranoia. Um, he was not willing to say anything about Michael Dean Perry's uh, candidacy for the Outland Trophy, which he could have won. He was really close because he 
And he didn't want Michael Dean Perry made available to talk about that either because they were preparing for a big game against South Carolina, which, by the way, that was the 87 game that they lost in Columbia. I think it was 20 to 7. Brad Edwards returned an interception yeah. for a touchdown. But anyway, um, you know, and back and forth with him in both positive and negative ways and then all kinds of other coaches the same way. Um, so, yeah, it's different now. And I think coaches recognize that. And media members do too. You've been prominently in that swirl before for positive reasons for Dabba saying things about you, but also getting on you. Um, Dave Hale, others, you know, have been in the same thing. So that's just the way it goes. And like you said, um, I think from our perspective as serious journalists, you and me and others, uh, you just don't really want it to be cheap shots on our part. And then you don't want it to be any sort of serious grudge on the part of the coach or administrator that you're dealing with. Well, we have to hear some of your recollections from the Danny Ford uh, spats because people are, (laughs) that's fascinating. Well, you know, Danny Ford was hilarious. I mean, you know, you think of him not as tremendously funny and he didn't elaborate, certainly wasn't long winded like some people are. And uh, I don't mean to take (laughs) nudge Dabo at all, because, you know, I I could listen to Dabo all the time. I mean, I think people would he, he could speak before corporations and make five figures every week just talking. So that's great. But Danny Ford one we wrote that Clemson outweighs I think it was Georgia Tech by like 11 pounds at every position you know we had figured out or something so he comes to the press conference with a sack of potatoes is this is an 11 pound sack of potatoes puts it on the table and it's kind of small you know not too big he goes that's all it is and i mean if something like that that would have been like gold on tv and on espn and uh yeah um he'd go after reporters from time to time for sure and he would know pretty much anything that was said about him in the state of south carolina well, what's the angriest he was with you, and what's the angriest you can recall any coach has been with you? Uh, okay, the the angriest was after that that I slammed him for the Michael Dean Perry thing and called him the Prince of Paranoia. And but let's see. Also, though, I mean, I really got his downfall. His demise was really in big part because he clashed with the university about slamming them publicly for wanting to build the academic center for athletes while he wanted another athletic dorm for athletes, which this is a different time, you know, Mm -hmm. but that was a big thing for him. Everybody else was downsizing the athletic dorms. Clemson was going to be innovative in building one of the first. In fact, I think it really was the first academic center for athletes, a brick and mortar thing. And he was going around uh, talking to alumni groups and saying, this is a terrible idea. This is ridiculous. And, you know, I took up for the Clemson University side of that. And uh, just like this is the guy you want speaking for your university, your program, your alums. And, uh, yeah, he, he got me aside and said some certain words that we're not going to say on the radio here, but you know, what are you doing? I thought you were a football guy. F this, F that, blah, blah, blah. Um, that kind of thing, but not 
in front of microphones and cameras would would he do that um which i have to say that that was a classy way about it you've got a problem with me come to me and say it you know you don't need to go public with it so i appreciated that and i've talked to him many times since since then including in the last few years and he's always been really gracious with his time and i might add larry as as i know you know because you wrote a great book on danny ford really insightful so um and with a great perspective of the history of not just college football but of course the clemson program and clemson fans in particular a book that caused my own uh spat with danny ford he there you go he didn't think i could write a book about him without his permission. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Danny's not, you know, really, really into the nuances of uh, publishing rights. Of America. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. That was just a joke. I'm not trashing him saying that. But anyway, no, he, uh, initially it was a series of articles that ran on our website at tigerillustrated.com. It was like a 15 part series. So it had already been published. And I, I even gave him the, I, I, I cop, made copies of every article, each of those articles that ran. It was a big stack, and I gave it to him. I said, "Hey, just thought you might, you might be interested in reading this." And also, the same publisher that that, uh, that published my last year's book, 2011, on the history of the Clemson South Carolina football rivalry, they might be interested in making a book out of this. And so he, you know you know, you're welcome to give it a read and just give me a call and let me know if there's anything you, you know, you don't think is accurate according to what your recollection is or whatever. Well, he never called. He never called back. And uh, when he heard the book was coming out, he basically threatened to sue me. Um, so that was, uh, it was kind of unnerving, but I think once the book did come out and once either he or his lawyer whoever actually saw hey this actually represents him pretty well and it's really just there was nothing new in the book it was all it was basically just here's how things happened according to all the news accounts uh you know of the day um which i, I remember that prince of paranoia column uh or i just remember the the time that the headline what's the most what's the angriest that any coach has been with eugene uh i really I've had more administrators mad at me before than coaches. Um, I really have quite the history of clashing with the Citadel, especially um, in the 90s and late 80s, trying to get them to play SC State and make some no Confederate flags in the the stands or in the parking lot. Again, I'm going to say this is the eight late eighties and nineties. This is not an issue now, but, um, and so the administrators would have to kind of stick up for the school and yell at me. And yeah, that was not, not good. As far as coaches, um, let's see, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've had, you know, any longstanding or serious problems with football. There's been some basketball coaches though, Tom Harrion at College of Charleston, who was just under a tremendous amount of pressure following the legendary John Cress. And the guy went 80 and 38 and they fired him because he was really, people just didn't like him. Um, George Felton at, at South Carolina had kind of an acerbic personality that would uh, rub people the wrong way. And he would 
not use cuss words, but just have extremely short, terse answers for me at press conferences. Um, you know, and, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, the Beamer thing was the most public thing recently, but I didn't really feel any serious animosity there. Any friction ever with Dabo? Uh, well, I have had things with Dabo for sure. Going back to his first year as head coach. And, um, he, I'll just say that he tends to handle things privately or maybe through other people, uh, nothing directly publicly other than what anybody could see, which is not too much. Um, uh, but we've had some things that we've definitely disagreed on, but I think it's just been handled real professionally, privately and, or through other people. And by that, I mean, their public relations staff would relay some things, but I just have the greatest respect for him, uh, not just as a coach, but you know, the way he's molded those players. And I think the, you know, the paw thing is just an amazing thing and should be modeled at all schools and all athletic programs. The paw journey is what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I I've, I've written that that's not that kind of stuff. So it's not like I've, just just telling you that but you know i'm just really fortunate to be even these last say uh 12 or 15 years dabo sweeney don staley spurrier um ray tanner holtz uh, brad brownell you know i mean plus cress and john mckissick the greatest uh, high school winningest coach until last year in the history of America, Rick Barnes, Oliver Purnell. I mean, I've been really fortunate to cover some quite interesting coaches, Larry. Upstate foodies want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails, super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy way. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. As a columnist, what was, and you did more than write columns. You were basically an assistant sports editor and you really presided over the college coverage uh, dating back to when I was there for sure. 
what was the hardest part of that job for you? Uh, 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 the whole thing or just the columnist? Just the whole, the whole thing. I'm just, yeah. just curious well, to get a window into that. Okay. Well, this is going to be interesting because uh, I'm going to give people a little bit of a history lesson here, which they may not know. So Larry Williams was our very first Clemson-based Clemson beat writer. Before that, we tried to do this from Charleston. So um, I became the college sports editor during your tenure of that. I wasn't when you first started. And so it was great to be able to, to, to work with you. After that, I was basically charged with um, finding your replacements. And the way I went about it at both South Carolina and Clemson was I cold called cold call recruited eight different beat writers. I mean, they had no idea we would have an opening that we had an opening. And in most cases had never heard of me, but for Travis Sawcheck, Aaron Brenner, Grace Rayner, Josh Needleman, and our current beat writer, who's really good. John Blau plus on the Gamecock beat, uh, Travis Haney, Daryl Slater, and, and Ryan Wood. None of those people applied for the job. I tried to recruit them. They all came, they all came, they all got hired, and they all won really, really major awards while they were working for the Post and Courier. You absolutely helped set the tone for that, and you have mentored every single one of those Clemson people, and then they go on to, to mentor their replacement too. And uh, people, snidely, readers would say, oh, you you can't hold on to any of these people. They leave. I believe, I'm glad they leave. A, a few of those people I just mentioned, I told to leave. I said, you can't stay here any longer. You need to get going. You're better than this. We want you to move on. Um, and tried to like get them to accept some of these offers they were getting. And they didn't want to at first. But uh, I have to thank you for that from for from me personally because you really made my job easier by shepherding these people and setting the tone. Okay, well, I didn't want that answer to be about me, Gene. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, what was so the hardest? Okay, so, the hardest part of column so, of being a columnist. Let's just let let's let's confine it to that, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, I take being uh, balanced and object, uh, objectivity really seriously. I, I built that into my, I think, hard drive. Like while I was in college, I was told that's what we were supposed to be. At first, it was really hard. Um, I remember freshman year, uh, again, I'm, I'm well, freshman year, I was – on the sports staff at Colorado state university. Uh, and uh, you know, you, you, school starts in late August. So one of the first assignments is a home football game. And they send me there. And I remember I, I go to the game and I, I, I call my brother and said, you wouldn't believe it, but we get free Cokes in the press <laughs> box. But, but anyway, and uh, something happened, they threw a touchdown pass and I like just, instinctively clap, you know, and, and yeah. like this guy from the Denver post looks at me and like, we don't do that in here. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it didn't take me long to be, you know, hard on the Colorado state Rams to, uh, a little bit, uh, going too far the other way, but 
objectivity is something that just hasn't been a problem for me. And maybe it's not in South Carolina because I'm so far removed from where I grew up, though. I've found that people that graduated from Clemson have no problem covering the Gamecocks. People that graduated from U of South Carolina's outstanding journalism school have no problem covering Clemson, et cetera. But I think, you know, my favorite team is the Harlem Globetrotters and I don't really care about anybody else winning or losing. And uh, that, that's a hard thing, but for me, it's, it's pretty easy. But in this state where the passions run so deep, I think it's pretty important because Larry, for the most part, the only colleagues I was having that would go to both the Clemson and South Carolina games all the time were Pete Yacobelli and Phil Kornblut, aside from some of the TV people around the state. I, I, th- I don't think there's any other sports columnists left in South Carolina. I, I don't mean to offend anyone, but in terms of the voices... Um, you know, I mean, back when I came, first got in the business, I mean, there were voices everywhere, you know, um, there were two in Charleston, you and Ken Berger, multiple voices in Columbia, multiple, uh, Dan Foster was the only one, is that right? In Greenville before Bart Wright. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, columnists in Augusta, columnists in Spartanburg. My point is, um, there were many before, and not to sound like a grumpy old man, but there are none now. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? Is it a big deal? Um, are there still voices? It's just not in a newspaper sense, and there's still plenty of uh, plenty of commentary, plenty of opinions, a marketplace of opinions, um, a sufficient number. What, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this has come up in some radio interviews and other stuff here in this last week or so. And I'm just going to say some stuff and you, we can talk about it or whatever, but it wasn't better back then. And there were voices that you heard about because there were so few outlets, basically. Mm -hmm. It wasn't better. The writing wasn't better. It's not better now than it'll be in, in 15 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, David, David Cloninger, Ben Portnoy, who just left the state, um, Emily Adams, who just left Greenville, they'll replace them with good people. Michael Lanana, those are really good columnists. They write columns. But the real voices in the state are Larry Williams, John Whittle. Um, I'm, I'm going to name people, but I know I'm going to forget people here, but you know, David Hood, uh, Hale McGranahan, it's better now because there's so much more information, opinion, and really good reporting for consumers of journalism to enjoy and appreciate, uh, you know, the, the era that you refer to, and I have the greatest respect for some of the people you mentioned, but if you were a Clemson fan, I can go online now and get 
I'm asking you, how many, how many entities seriously cover Clemson daily? About 12 or something? And they all do something a little different. There's almost nobody that does the exact same stuff. Like some are real heavy with video. Some people are doing position battles. Some people are doing opinion. Some people it's all, you know, high school based recruiting. Some people it's a really nice mix, but maybe they're not great at any one thing. And I just think it's a wonderful time. There's great voices. And don't tell me that, uh, again, J- John Will is like a really good, uh, you know, fan site reporter covering the Gamecocks. And, and there's Larry Williams. Don't tell me there was ever better than Larry Williams and, and John Whittle. And there's Cloniger and there's Scott Keeper and, you know, all these people. I, I just think it's a great time for journalism right now. And uh, that, that's what I think. And, and then, yeah, it cycles through kind of too fast for me. Like I would have liked to read more of Emily Adams, Christina Long, Grace Rayner, and all these, you know, women, but, uh, Manny Robinson, what a star that he was at the Greenville news, but you know, the, the young people that come out of journalism school now are so much better than, than I was when I came out. And it's just really exciting to, to see what they say. And, and I just think the, con- the consumers of Sports journalism in South Carolina, especially reading about Clemson and South Carolina athletics are in great shape right now. I guess what I see as being lost, and, I, and I'm not sitting here saying it's it's worse than it was. I'm just, uh, it's probably the newspaper traditionalist in me coming out when I sort of magnify this in that um, in, say, 1995, um, if I'm a subscriber to the Post and Courier and uh, I'm a Clemson fan and uh, who was the coach? Tommy West? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They fall on their face and then Ken Berger is at the game and he just trashes, you know, he says Tommy West has some explaining to do or something like that. Uh, Ken Berger is a truly detached observer. So if he comes to town and if he – uh, you know, calls out Tommy West, and boy, things are really serious. We should be concerned here. Um, whereas now, and Ken Berger could go the next week and write about South Carolina, you know, and criticize or or, or praise the Gamecocks coach or whatever. But there was that sense in the mind of the reader, I presume, most re- the 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 intelligent reader that okay, well, he's you know, he's he's detached from both and he's the more general columnist. And so I'm going to probably, um, you know, take to heart what he says. Whereas now, Gene, I tell you, like I, if I, I mean, most South Carolina fans probably think I'm a huge Clemson fan, you know, and um, it's not accurate, but like, so if I were to, I mean, I certainly don't, I don't really, I don't write about South Carolina because my, my subscribers don't want to read about South Carolina unless they're playing them. But if I were to, and I have done this, I mean, I might tweet about something South Carolina related once or twice a year, but man, each time it happens, it's like I have committed a mortal sin by commenting on something other than Clemson, you know, like it's like I'm, I'm unprofessional because I have chosen to make a comment about something outside of my domain. And I would say the same is true for somebody who covers the Gamecocks, who makes a comment, you know, on social media about Clemson. Then Clemson fans are all over him for why are you, why are you even, 
Why are you even talking about Clemson? You, you're supposed to be covered South Carolina, you know? So that's, I think, what is probably lost. But, but for the hardcore fan of a team, I think you might be right in that you have a, a higher volume of plugged-in reporters who are probably have a better chance of, of being a, an authority on what they cover. Um, so that, I, I think there's cer- there's, that's certainly true. Yeah. Okay. What you say is fair. The columnist, classic definition of the columnist, especially within a given state, that's really disappearing, if not almost completely lost. You pointed out the Augusta Chronicle. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago, um, 15 15 years ago. I mean, Myrtle Beach had a full-time columnist, Rock Hill. You know, so obviously the Augusta Chronicle and, um, of course, Greenville and Columbia and Charleston. So, yeah, um, I guess, you know, there's some trade there. there you, you still kind of have the objective college football columnist dropping into town from the athletic or ESPN.com or something. But you're right. You're right. There's no doubt about that. But this notion that it was better, there were better writers, there aren't any, you know, really good voices. There are some tremendous voices right now. So, but what you say is correct. I can't disagree with that. It's so interesting to hear you talk about your high school days of going to the library to read the national newspapers. And for me... Like we moved from Columbia to Charleston uh, when I was in tenth grade. I had Gene. I had very little interest in in school, um, <laughs> largely because I hated algebra and really didn't like m- many of the the other subjects. But <laughs> I'm right there with your brother. But we did subscribe to the Post and Courier, and as I'm this like wayward non-law-abiding, cutting class, smoking cigarettes, doing various other um, shady things, uh, kid, the one thing I felt like I could latch on to was reading that sports page every day. And that was one of the first things I remember from getting to Mount Pleasant is uh, is reading your stuff, reading Ken Berger's stuff. I mean, th- those names, the bylines alone, I mean, it was like larger than life when I started doing it um, in journalism school and then beyond, when you start not only seeing these guys in press boxes, but then meeting them, you know, and becoming, you know, acquaintances with them. So I don't know what would have happened to me had I not had that to latch on to as in, Hey, I love sports and Hey, I might be able to string some sentences together, you know, in a fairly good way. I didn't really know, but it seemed like something I could, probably do so uh that was really what that's what i look back on as being the formative part of of my professional existence for sure okay well let me fast forward there for you because that's true and and it was true for me woody page was that guy for me in in colorado but right now larry um, there's kids on their phone in high school looking at their phone and, oh, and yeah. reading Larry Williams. Oh, and I did not read yeah. Larry Williams. Yeah. And, and I didn't and, say I mean, that as an argument. Really, there's more yeah. outlets for that for people. So, you know, it's better. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I wasn't saying, I, I, I probably should have said we can transition, but I was just saying more just as a, uh, less about 
what we're talking about, about the current um, state of affairs and more. I, when you, when the news came last week that you were hanging it up, that's what I thought too. You know, I'm like, man, that I owe that guy, you know, not just for thinking something to me to hire me, you know, uh, in 2000, 2004, but even, even long before then when, um, there wasn't a whole lot I was going to do <laughs> other than, other than, other than do this. Cause I'd probably, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. So I, I don't know. I feel indebted to the posting courier, feel indebted to you, feel indebted to Ken Berger and, and, and you know, plenty of other, uh, people who worked there when I was, um, when I was in high school and, and reading it religiously every day. Yeah. Um, I do regret that, uh, we once had 15 people in the sports department and I believe we we're down to five or six, but yeah, those were good times. And, uh, you became part of that. What do you think? What do you think about the, you mentioned the relationship you had with Lyle Alzado relationships you probably had with college players, years ago in a different time when not everything was so managed, I guess. And when controlling the message wasn't such an important thing. Do you think something is lost in the college aspect of it in the media coverage of, of teams in that, I mean, it's harder, much harder to develop a relationship with a player you cover now because everything is so um, structured and, you know, they're sitting in front of a, at a podium in front of 20 or 30 media members, as opposed to, you know, a post-practice locker room setting where you pull somebody aside and this and that. Do you, uh, do you sort of lament that? Um, especially compared to the NFL where it does seem like the, the writers are able to still have relationship, develop relationships with the, with the players they cover. Yeah. NFL still has the open locker room on Tuesday and, and after games for the most part. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt about it, Larry. I think access is one of the coins of the realm for us. And right now it's pretty much the podium, uh, for schools. I think Nick Saban really started that and the coaches that he has influenced like Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp and others, you know, it, it sort of, uh, imitated that all. I'll tell you, uh, maybe the best place for access, you know, around big time college football is at university of Georgia. You can get players in a gaggle, you know, once a week, at least during the week, but yeah, just, just having guys at the podium with not able to get them aside, or you can work to do that as you have, as I have. Um, but I, th I think that's not good for the reader. However, for us as journalists and, you know, we're really, um, I'm preaching in church here to you, but it, it may, it's made us work harder to get better stories mm -hmm. with background or, you know, family members, high school coaches, high school teammates, former players, et cetera. And I, I think in a way that's a fun challenge for us um, to not just be able to kind of hang out with the player or something you have to really work harder and sometimes it produces better stories and more investigative stories sometimes like okay well maybe i should look into this then if i'm not going to really just talk to this guy for a half hour or something uh and i think the reader benefits overall we work around it we find things out that we want to find out because we're all good journalists so it works out you have to make the adjustment just like anything else in life do you think you'll be replaced 
that, that there will be another columnist to succeed you? Hard to say. Not really sure. Really, really don't know. Yep. What do you, the next five years for, for Clemson, for both Clemson football and South Carolina football, what do you, uh, what's your crystal ball look like? How do you feel about the sort of long-term future under Beamer and under Dabo? Yeah, well, if those two coaches are there, I think it's uh, relatively pretty good. I think Dabo Sweeney is the best. Dabo Sweeney and Don Staley are the best two coaches in college athletics in Palmetto State history and that Dabo's going to do pretty well. Um, interesting how the transfer portal situation will be with him and how the 12-team playoff situation that may be more than a 12-team playoff goes going forward and, you know, how, how Clemson would do in a, in a 64 team super league. That's almost certainly coming, but overall, if I'm a fan of a team and I'm, I'm not, but I'll take Dabo Sweeney and, and Kirby smart and everybody else after that, that I would want to be my head coach. As for South Carolina, I think Shane Beamer is the right guy for the job here. That enthusiasm is necessary. He's recruiting relatively well. The players um, that he's got coming in are, you know, better than they had had. It's going to be tough to see how he navigates an SEC in which he has to play either Oklahoma or Texas every year. And this next year's schedule is ridiculous. Alabama, LSU will miss Oklahoma, Clemson, and even without Georgia, that's just brutal. And I think they're going to be around 500 again. And, but, but I think with, with a good young core, especially on both sides of the line. Did you ever have writer's block as a columnist? Uh, Not for very long, but with me, I'm just not that good really, but, but with me, it would, would be the writer's block would be, I can, this is okay column, but can I come up with something better and trying to challenge myself to come up with something better and, and learning from other people to get off your ass and, and make that, that next call, make one more call that, that kind of stuff that, 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 usually just really enhances and, and makes the column better to get some insight from that, that other call that you need, you need to make, you know, and, and you, I, you, you would talk about stuff like that when you were with our, with our staff. I mean, and I absolutely, I'm not just saying this, but like I learned stuff from younger reporters now. And I mean, 24 year olds are, you know, that, that like, Hey, that I hadn't heard that, that I really like that. So you Sachik, Rainer, Brenner, certainly Blau, Needleman, all those people really all helped me be better. No doubt about it. Is there anything I forgot neglected to mention as part of, as part of this, as part of your story that you want to, that you feel like needs, uh, needs, uh, needs covering? Yeah, you didn't ask me what my favorite Clemson Bowl trip was, and there's no doubt about it, Larry. It was uh, Boise, Idaho, when snow <laughs> was falling during the game, and I was uh, hitting hitting journalism colleagues with snowballs that day. Uh, that's my favorite Clemson Bowl trip. Are you gonna <laughs> miss? Are you gonna miss the 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 the, the windshield time uh, that you 
collected. That that's that's got to be part of the ho- well, unless you really like driving. I, that would have driven me crazy. But uh, yeah. So that's another one of the columns I wrote that somebody said, "Oh, are you retiring?" This was in October, November. I calculated that I've spent a year and a half just on I-26, <laughs> which doesn't even go clear to Clemson. But here's the thing, Larry. I spent 285 days in Florida on, on the job, and I spent more days in Georgia and North Carolina. So almost a year in each of those three states. Um, I really – the travel didn't mind – I didn't mind it. I had podcasts, trying to learn Spanish, um, listening to music, listening to games. I didn't mind it as much as people would think. Did Tim Beret help you with some of those stats about I-26 and the time span in Florida? <laughs> uh, he did not, but I'll tell you what. Tim Beret is just uh, one of the all-time treasures of people that I've ever met in the business. So, I mean, tip of the cap to him for all kinds of things, as you well know. Gene, you've been very generous with your time today, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing about what the next chapter holds. I know uh, that you're gonna you're gonna do good, whatever it is. And uh, man, I, I value our our friendship greatly, and all that you've done for for me. And um, all the best to you, man. Thanks, Larry. I love you. And thanks for having me on this ridiculously uh, great podcast situation that you've developed. Love Gene, too. And hard to believe he's written his last words for the Charleston Post and Courier. All the best to him. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for continuing to help make this happen. And uh, thanks to every single one of you for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.